Uh, Garrick, hey. how you doing, buddy? Good. I am. I'm. I'm doing good. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> really, wow. real, award, so, <laughs> award, award, winning, <laughs> award winning banter. That's good. Podcast. Sorry, I'm getting splinters. You guys are so wooden. What's <laughs> happening? To this? I know. I know. Uh, that is so, the that is the 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 pleasant voice of Paul Duncan. Everybody. Yeah, we have an amazing amazing guest. Uh, I, you know, there's a there's a lot a lot we can introduce, Paul. I mean, Spanish speaker. Uh, <laughs> among among other languages, <laughs> among us, um, well, well, someone he he loves Spain. I'll say that I, I I've known Paul for a long time through Spain, and and he's a guy who who loves Spain and loves the people of Spain. So there's that for for uh, for Paul. Um, yeah, but not exactly. See, I said he was a Spanish speaker. Uh, connoisseur of fine whiskeys, um, and then kind of. A leadership guru, I would say, right? Would you say that, Barrett? I, I, I would definitely agree. So when I was uh, national leader of Sweden, Paul was, uh, or actually through the years, Paul and I have had uh, many, uh, let's say, sessions where Paul would throw out the cheeky question that unlocked uh, one particular insight mm-hmm. or another. Uh, I think secretly, Paul always holds back a little bit thinking, you idiot uh some <laughs> somewhere in his head he's probably thinking that about me but that probably speaks more I, to my insecurities than Paul's. well i think that's all english people do oh that's Americans. true that's true the, well, they're, they're, in the back of their head they're all like yeah yeah the accent makes them so smart it's it, it is was, you know we realize we are superior so <laughs> yeah. you, you are right yeah 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 so paul 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 duncan welcome to the podcast paul what is your uh current title within agape europe okay so i am a regional country coach um yeah so i'm on the the region vp team so i'm the country coach for spain portugal france ukraine north macedonia Oof. and wow. serbia okay yeah. and so that means at halftime every year you make changes you pull people you you know that's what the coaching is or um it, oh it's much more it's much more powerful than that <laughs> yeah uh, so, we're trying yeah. to we're trying to change you know trying to change the world one conversation at a time. Mm. Mm. Well, I in my years of experience, actually, I'm I said and jokingly, but in my years of experience with Paul, um, you really do have a way of coaching. Uh, you've obviously studied it. Uh, you it is your degree, is it not? Yeah, I have a master's in coaching and mentoring from Oxford Brooks, and my dissertation was on how do the beliefs of christian coaches impact their coaching practice and uh there isn't a lot academically written um but my thing is there and i've now been cited seven times oh wow so you know that month of work seven people have looked at it (laughs) so what's the marker so do do i get um no no, that's unfortunate. No, not for being cited. I, I'm not looking. You know, uh, uh, yeah, I realize my academic um, prowess is, you know, is uh, is not what I thought it was going to be. 
Well, I leave it. I leave it to the people. But, but, like but your but your in but your impact is great. So, okay. So, Paul, we we are excited to have you on. Yes. Um, you, in addition to thinking about coaching, you obviously are the coach of leaders uh, yes. within within Europe. But you also know a fair bit about leadership, having been a leader yourself, having been in various leadership positions over the many years. Um, and we've you're been kind I'm of old. Is that what you're nope, saying? Nope. Just said many all. years. You, well, <laughs> why need to mention many? Well, I've I've been learning Spanish for many years. It feels okay. like uh, so that is a that is a relative term. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so okay. So we are been doing a little bit of a jaunt on leadership, and so excited to have you uh, on to to talk about leadership and and in the quote unquote green room, as I've heard other people on podcasts say, which yeah. is just another word for saying before I hit record. Um, you were talking about, um, we, we had started to talk about a little bit about, okay, is it skill or is it uh character? And you started to quote something that was gold. And I don't want to miss it. So lead us back down that trail. Is it character or is it skill and what is at the core of the essence of, of leadership in your mind? Yeah. So, um, so obviously it is a, a, a straw man, a straw leader. Um, if I was to polarize, I would say uh, Christians tend to value or prioritize character and integrity. Uh, and so when that happens is, especially because it's a spiritual thing, they're called by God. People tend to work harder and harder and harder um, because they haven't got the skills. And so ultimately they end up being burnt out because there's there's only so hard you can you can work. So the, the danger is that they burn themselves out. The other danger, and it's less true in Christian organizations, is you have people who are highly skilled but have no integrity at all or very little integrity. And that then often leads to pride. And we know pride, pride never, never ends well for the individual or for the organization. So actually that's, I think that's worse. Yeah. Um, and so I, because I have two scriptures, which I guess influence my, my thinking First one, Psalm 78, verse 72, talking about David, how he shepherded Israel with integrity or an upright heart, depending on the translation, and with skillful hands. So the Christian leader needs both. You know, we need integrity of heart, uh, an upright heart. But we also need, you know, you can't neglect skills. Um a shepherd who's got no skills is not going to be a very good shepherd. So there are there are some mm -hmm. practical things which will make things go easier. And the the other one, um, which I was talking about this on the leadership team earlier this week, is found in Acts four verse thirteen, and I believe you have that verse open. This is. Um, this is Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and in yeah, re, yeah, read the verse. Yeah, I'm I'm reading from the official version of Heaven, the New American Standard. That's version. okay. 
I'm just kidding. Uh, it happens to be that because that's what was up on my phone. Okay. Uh, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were educated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So I believe it does say uneducated rather than educated. Sorry? Uh, uneducated. Yeah, it's always good if you, you try not to misquote scripture. Yeah, but yeah. It's a bit dangerous, that. Okay. So <laughs> it's really interesting, you know, for me, I was thinking about, well, what do we value with leaders? Do we value education? Do we value schooling? Do we value charisma? And the danger is we value all these things. But the thing that marked those guys out to these great spiritual leaders and authority is they'd been with Jesus. And I was wondering about myself, you know, what's my legacy? What do people say about me? Do they, are they able to see my life has been transformed because, or being transformed because I've been with Jesus? And I think we always want to make sure this is the main thing. You know, uh, it's about spiritual leadership. That's what we're about. You know, Blackaby uh, talks about getting people onto God's agenda. Um so yeah, I, I, I'm I'm thinking more about these days. What what does it mean? Uh, how do people know uh, I've been with Jesus? Mm. Um, and it's simple yet complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul. One one of the things. So so you know, we we mentioned this earlier to you guys. I've I've been kind of on a leadership journey more or less but you know looking at uh what's available or how, how we train leaders in even our own organization which i'm not, I'm not saying is 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 um, negative or bad or in in a lot of um parachurch organizations uh and, and looking at those you know um and but one thing i remember it's just very clear and it's on my phone is an image that you use we asked you to come and speak to spanish leaders um Years ago now already, but you had a you had these two images. You said which one? Oh, the the guys climbing the yeah. The, uh, what was an army leader and helping somebody up, or yeah. at the bottom with the guy trampling on his head? Yeah, yeah. And I think the right the and the assumption was, it, as you look at it, your your assumptions are that a good leader is the one who's up and pulling somebody up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the reality was the really and, and the other one was the leader was stepping on the guy. But the reality was no. The best leader is the leader who's underneath the guy, yeah. his his subordinate, and pushing him up, and he's being used as a ladder. So he's, you know, there's service, there's empowering, and so I, I, that's that. I think that's where you're seeing more in in uh, what I would say that that style of leadership or that that push that that maybe that training, and maybe this is a question of skills here. So I'm, I'm getting to a question um, here, but so so you have that image, and I, that seems to become more and more the operative injury in the. Uh, uh, image in the military, even in in business, in management, that you as a leader are there to empower and to uh, be, you know, for lack of a better term, not the upfront guy holding the banner, going follow me, but the the guy pushing people forward. Um, but that so that requires uh, a change of heart, change of perspective, but also ch- it requires skills. Yeah. Um, so when when you say skills, are you talking about those like soft skills as well? Because I, th- I think a lot of times when I see how how crew trains people, we train people on how to do evangelism, how to do discipleship, how to how to do certain things which are which are great and important. 
but do we teach the soft skills in the church in whatever organization that that that, that people really need? Um, so I don't know. That's a and what do you think about all that? What I yeah, just said. so it's it's re- so so I've been on staff since 1985. So what's that? 37 years. Mm-hmm. So we've um, that's almost as old as Barrett is. Yeah, it's like in. Prime Ministers of England, that's like, what, 37 by now? That's you guys have been uh, just yeah, up. Yeah, was, yeah, obviously my nationality gives me a great <laughs> uh, place to be able to stand and speak on, on, on leadership. Uh, so I think we've changed. I would say when we started, we were quite Darwinian in our leadership development, you know, the survival of the fittest. So we chucked you in the pool, and if you could swim, great, you made it. And if you didn't, well... Oh dear, never you know, never mind. You you weren't meant to be uh you weren't meant to be certainly a, a team a team leader. So I think I think context is quite important. So ultimately, people are designed to grow. It's just whether or not the organization is helps that or makes it more difficult. Mm-hmm. And so uh I'd say in our history, we've done we've done uh, a bit of both. So when I was responsible for leadership development in Western Europe, um, I saw lots of really hardworking people who were lacking just some simple skills. Mm-hmm. So you know, I created CXI, uh, just focusing on some of the skills that would help planning, how to lead yourself, how to grow your team, how to create that environment, um, you know, stuff on planning and then conflict resolution because ultimately working with independent people is incredibly difficult. And if you don't train people, either they copy what they did in their t- from their team leader because they he did it really well or she did it really well, or they do the opposite because um, it was really bad. But we have some great conflicts. You know, family life have some great stuff on conflict resolution and how you have mm-hmm. conversations you know we've now got behind you know crucial conversations by granny so we i i think as an organization we've become more aware that actually these soft skills trip people up so i think generationally we've we've moved on um i i had an experience a number of years ago where someone said to me, coaching was psychobabble. Um, <laughs> so, uh, which was kind of a surprise. Um, but now there's a strong coaching yep. culture in the region. So, there, you know, there are individuals in any organization who are old school mm-hmm. and hold on to um, what they think is is right. Um, and maybe it worked back in the 1960s. But today is just, well, we're on the same planet just about, um, but so, so, so much is, is different. And um, one of the things that marks out, I think all the books talk about this, is your know, leaders are curious Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not just curious; they're learners as well. You know, they don't it's like Moses. Moses saw the bush was burning. Okay, that's curiosity, but then he stepped towards it. 
So you've got to do something about your curiosity. And for mm-hmm. me, that's the the learning part of it. So I look for people who are curious, who want to learn. And um and then with you know gentlemen like you, you know, I want to ask you questions to stimulate your thinking even more, you know. Um why do you think that? What what you know, challenging your challenging your paradigm. And I think I've I've noticed of late that's the thing that I'm doing more and more is life is being portrayed as you're conservative or liberal. Uh you're you're this or that. You believe this, or and you if you believe that, you can't believe that. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to encourage people, you need to reject that paradigm. You need to say, I, I'm I'm not going in that trap. There is something there is something different. There's another way in which you can look at, at things. And I think leadership of the future will uh will be wise enough to avoid the traps that people try to put Jesus in. Um, you know, whose coin is this? Well, whose face is it? You know, should we give taxes? Jesus was brilliant in his answer, uh, but it was not the answer people that people expected. So I think there are leadership traps today mm-hmm. where people are trying to put you in a box uh, or on a pedestal, and either way, they're going to push you off it anyway. And yeah. we need people who who are wise enough to navigate the path that's going to move us forward on the mission because you know we're leading for a reason yeah we're trying to expand god's kingdom so. this so, is water by the way not gin just in case you were <laughs> yeah it, it it's it's in the morning so uh we assumed it was water um maybe we shouldn't um okay so so here's so here's another question because you know we're we're un, un i feel like i'm always trying to unpack leadership and get to uh a definition or some kind of ability to so, but what, what I hear here, you're, you're saying, you know, there's a lot to leadership, obviously uh, it's complex, but then there is this part, which seems very key. And and maybe we don't talk about it, but it is the life of the mind of a leader, which it seems like yours very tied into that. Right. Um, how, how does that play out? Because I, I'm not sure all leaders realize they, they have to be thinking about things and they have to be, as you said, curious and the, and, and, and maybe the trick, that's not a trick, but maybe the part of the trick is not just doing and going, but it is how we're thinking about yeah. ourselves. So I've taught the so one, of, one of my standard questions to leaders is um, how much time do you spend thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, and I get all sorts of answers. Uh, Generally, they, they, you know, I'm always thinking, and it's like, okay, well, that's, that's that's great. What are you but, thinking about? Yes, but most people are not taking that time away. You know, it's in their schedule or diary, depending on your your culture. Where I have uh, think time, um, and that's concentrated time where all you're going to do is think, maybe read, because I I say leaders are paid to think. That is your part of your job. So if you're not doing it, who's doing it for your team, your ministry? So I don't think that thinking is an optional extra. It's something you can do rather than watch Netflix. I'm saying thinking is part of your your day job. Um, Ken Cochran used to be a, a global VP. 
had um, one afternoon a week called Issachar time. So it was this idea of being the son of Issachar. And he would, during that time, he would, uh, people would send him stuff or inter interesting articles to read. And so he would put all those things in a little folder. Like I have a, my, my laptop called the Issachar, Issachar time. And so when I have Issachar time, I open it and have a look in, and read and think, oh, that's really, you know, that's really useful. So I had a uh, conversation yesterday with someone who wanted to get their head around the difference between coaching and mentoring and spiritual directing and discipleship. And she talked about this book. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Wayne Cordero, The Divine Mentor. So, so I've just started reading that. And it's really interesting, you know, this idea of, Actually, there's a bunch of characters in the Bible who can mentor us. So I quite like I quite like his style. So I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll I'll read a bit more of it and then decide, you know, is this a book that I need to I need to be saying to the people I'm involved with? I think you'll find this book really helpful to you uh, to you now. So for me, I, when I read and think, I'm thinking about who do I pass this on? Does Nacho need to know this? Does Noella need to know this? Is this helpful for for Sasha? Um, so I send it to them, and then I find out whether or not it was it was right or wrong. I don't know whether that was the answer to your question. It certainly was a rabbit trail. Mm -hmm. Why? Why, in your from your perspective or from your experience, why is it that leaders have such a hard time setting aside time to think? Okay. If it's wow. so essential, yeah. Well, okay, let me flip it because I never like doing that to you. Uh, would you say in your experience of being led that was modelled to you? It I'd... depends on what level of leadership we're talking about. So yeah. I have been very fortunate in that I had contact with all several really great leaders in my life who set aside time to think. Uh, so various but then at the same time i can look all over the place and see so there's two ways of modeling there would be the the people i came in contact with over long periods of time uh or maybe three ways of modeling uh there were the leaders who were in my life who weren't necessarily speaking directly into my life but i observed them and then what i would say there is the ethos of an organization which speaks to modeling and yeah. ethos of organizationally um it's a little bit of a mixed bag uh but oftentimes being an activist organization like like we are there can often the ethos that can come through can be get going uh and we prize the people who um well i think the pandemic was a was a good example of this uh we like to promote and i don't mean like move them to higher office but but more like oh look at this person they're doing really great uh in a moment of in the beginning of the pandemic um it was all about um the activators and pivoters were those who were for lack of a better term being the loudest but also those being promoted uh versus those who were saying i think we got to think about this for a while i don't know and those were the people who were not poo-pooed, but definitely not highlighted, let's say. 
That's quite a technical term, poo pooed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you you are, so I mean you have a reputation of a of a thinker. So that's I would say that's why you think is you've actually seen you've seen it modeled. So you know, nothing is nothing is black and white apart from zebras, obviously. Um so yeah, it, it's country by country. Ultimately we are an activist activist organization because mission is at our heart and people who want to join a crazy organization like us are activists um and so we like being busy the uh but the challenge is is that the the world and our environment is changing so quickly that activity is not going to produce the results and mm-hmm. so you know, there's all sorts of idioms about you need to get off the dance floor and get on the balcony and have a look about what's happening. So from the adaptive leadership um, yeah. writing of high fits. Yeah. Uh, Canoeing the mountains also, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I know you 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 had him on your, your podcast. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, can, can, can we just, as a, as a small aside to that, okay, yeah. I was reading the some of the source literature for for the canoeing of the mountains yeah. uh, undaunted courage to my kids which yeah. is a great which is a great book by Stephen Ambrose the author of the books band of brothers which got made into a series okay indeed, great, indeed. Author. Yeah. Great, great author great author um i had read that years ago but somehow i don't think i made it to the final chapter because why don't we talk about the fact that clark committed suicide <laughs> like <laughs> what <laughs> like I, anyway, just a, I, it blew my mind. I don't know what to do with it yet. It's very raw, obviously, for me. Change leadership up on the balcony. Sorry, I just needed to put that out somewhere. Yeah, wow. I needed it to be known. He committed suicide. He went crazy. But I think he, he, I think in part he, well, one, he had a mental issue that they think he had from the very beginning. But yeah. two, but what uh, happened to him? He'd lost his task. Yeah, he he did. He lost his task, and that was very hard for him. Yeah. And am I? Am I? Because I I didn't know that, but I know Lewis tried to tried to help him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, after you've done something so momentous, yeah. Uh, well, what do you, what do you do next? So probably, if the president had given him another crazy task, because some people don't fit well in the ordinary, in the boxed, in the known. So he was great. You know, he, um, and some of the things they did, you know, from, from, from my reading of Canoeing the Mountains, um, it was, you know, pioneering. Yeah. Well, pioneers get bored when cities get built. They need, they need to leave. They need to get, mm-hmm. they need to get out to the wilderness and find something new to, uh, to uh, explore. So, you know, going back to your your uh, modeling, there was a great survey done on penalties in, I think it was the Euros or the World Cups. I haven't got the piece of paper behind me. Uh, on statistically, if goalkeepers did not move, stay in the center, they would save, I think it's 12% more penalties, mm-hmm. obviously, until uh, people realized that they weren't moving. Uh, yeah. But they don't follow the statistics. They dive to the left or their right. Why do you think they dive? They don't want to look like they got shredded. Yeah. 
because it looks better to have done something, even if it was the wrong thing, than to have done nothing if it was the right thing. Yeah. So that's us. We want to look like we've done something, even if, even if it was the wrong thing. Um, and so this idea of thinking, reflecting, um, yeah, it it slows us down. Um, I, I think um, so. In my schedule, I have I, I've put like a fifteen minutes at the end of every day reflection. So I don't do it every day, but I have it in my calendar as a reminder actually that would be really helpful to me if i practice reflection more what was you know, what went well today where did i feel alive where did i sense god at work what do i need to do differently um uh, you know, we talk about sharpening the axe well i'm the axe so do do i want to work harder or do i want to work smarter do i want to um see patterns and themes uh, in my life and in my work, or am I quite happy just chopping along because I'm I'm happy with the results? They're very good at sermons. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Well. Okay. So. So. Uh, quick note: Meriwether Lewis committed suicide. Clark tried to save him. Just there we go. Sure on that because I was like, wait, I think I used the wrong name. Uh, so please don't send us emails. Uh, okay. So um, when when. I think that's, I think it's a great point that we kind of keep carrying on thinking. I think thinking's painful. I think it's, it's hard. It doesn't feel like you said, it doesn't feel like we're doing something. That's a great analogy of, of the goalkeeper who yeah. also is, is fearing the judgment of others. Right. So it's not just, well, I got to do something, so I'll jump, but it's also, you're not going to stay in that position long. If you go, well, 12%, I'm going to save 12% more, uh, you know, but so I, th- well, but I don't know whether that's true, as in the sense of fear of judgment. I think it's the fear of what might happen. I don't know. I don't know how many people have been judged negatively for taking considered action. Um, there was a famous. Um, you remember you have conversations with people and. They say one thing and it sticks with you forever. So I was uh, in Portugal in the in the late 80s on a project with Steve Posey. He was the national director of Portugal at the time. And he was talking about how his experience of the Portuguese people were pushing him to make instant decisions. So they come with a problem and say, I want a decision now. And, uh, you know, he felt like under pressure. Uh, and he said he came up with a simple strategy, which I've given to everybody else because it was a brilliant strategy. And he, Steve said, if you want an answer now, instantaneously, the answer is no. But if you're per- prepared to give me some time to think and pray, I'll get back to you. And he said, 95% of the time, people said, oh, that's okay. I'll give you some time. So sometimes the urgency is it's not actually that it's not actually that urgent yeah mm-hmm. and, and this goes back to something you know we've, we've talked about uh or barrett and i are very high on you know the, the this leadership quality of being a non-anxious presence right that, that, that a lot of time this once again we're going back to the mind of a leader yeah. and how a leader has to process what is going on so they need time to think but they also need the ability to step back and and 
when everyone is anxious or wants something done or needs something done to be able to go, wait, we need to pull back. We need to slow it down. I mean, I, I, there's obviously times to make quick, decisive decisions, right? But, but hopefully you've been prepared for that. But that shouldn't probably be the operating principle of most ministry leadership. You know, yeah, but most, most ministry leaders do not face instantaneous decisions. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, Sasha, the national team leader in Ukraine, he faces some instant yeah, exactly. But um and but not many other people. Yeah. I think mine was when we saw this wave of COVID things spreading over Spain, realizing we we need to pull we need to cancel certain things right now. You know, those are those are the things and I don't have time to talk anything about that. I need yeah. to we just this is something we have to do because it's it seems the world is we had you know, we were at the front end of a lot of COVID in Europe, so we had had to make some quick decisions. And sometimes, uh, you know, being being quick is seen as better. You know, we uh, we've moved from dial-up to broadband, so there are some times when quick is better. Um, you know, I always wonder uh, when Jesus's brothers and sisters said. Oh, you know, come on, let's let's get to the uh, let, let's go to the feast. Um, and he said, no, you know, he waited. Or when Lazarus, you know, he waited until he was dead. Mm-hmm. So it's about it's about time. It's you know the difference between Kronos and Kairos. So it's recognizing those Kairos uh, moments. And I think one of the good things, just you talking about the mindset. So as an organization. Um, we are using, um, you know, we've changed the structure, but changing the structure is not going to change the world. We need to be changing the mindsets and the behaviors of ourselves. That's what will make the difference. So I think, uh, you know, we've involved, embarked on the immunity to change mapping process and helping people make those changes to look at the, the big assumptions that they have and how they maybe are not true or not completely true or are only true in certain circumstances and how that is enabling uh, mindset and behavior change. That is, that's a great initiative that the organization is doing. Um, and you know, crew has invested money and time into doing that. And I know Garrett's gone through it. Yep. I'm now immune to change. No, that's not. That is not the. the, the wow, dear, that is not the go. purpose of the the training. It is. Let's just say goodbye. That was Garrick's career going down, going down. This was Garrick's last podcast. Yeah, no, there, there's much. There's much worse on this podcast. that has been said, and so far we still yeah. both have our careers. Uh, wow, which, which well, is either, either a good, as it must be a, a, a good sign of uh, I don't know how people think about us or the fact that maybe no one's listening. Yes. Well, Sorry to waste well, your time. I'm just kidding. So. So I think there's what as I'm as I'm thinking we're talking about in a lot of ways personal change but also cultural change right and I, so it's, you're someone who's helping to lead uh, cultural change and I, and I think I think there's a lot of you know I, I remember being in seminary and that the 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 professors would say yeah you guys will get out in your job and you're going to realize that all the you know all this these grand visions and ideas you have are not just going to snap. You know, be, because you have to deal with people and your work, and so I think 
there, there's a message there's something I've learned right so as you lead change as you lead cultural change what are uh you know you as you've done it have you seen yeah. changes been implemented over over the course of set several decades uh how what 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 are some keys for a leader that that what do they need to have to to help persevere and work and work through and make and make those those big changes wow lot i mean lots of things so when you look at um VUCA, you know volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous is that right Did i believe check? so so, so so vol- you know, so with volatile you need vision uh you need um understanding you need clarity and then you need i can't think what the, oh it's action that, 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 so, mm-hmm. so there is an antidote to to the to these things um uh, it's really strange you talked about you know culture i remember as a young leader thinking all this talk about culture was a complete waste of time it's like i i'm not interested i'm just going to do it and it's only as I've got older, I've realized how foolish that was. So, you know, I was a believer that culture didn't exist. If I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't smell it, it's not real. Um, whereas now I realize, wow, culture uh, is very pervasive. Um, so ultimately, I I can, whatever my position, whether it's within the structure or without the structure, I can affect culture change but it will only be around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you know, it, it is a long conversation, but I, I'm not a victim. I'm going to make a change. And so you have to commit yourself to change and pay whatever costs that may, that may mm-hmm. come or go. I have just been fortunate when I think of the big culture changes that I've been involved in. I intuitively followed the right people. And so they opened doors for me. So um, with leading the coaching culture, um, you know, I'm a good friend with Joe Schley when he was the NCD in France. So we talked to him. He's like, yeah, let, let's do some coaching with, with the, the campus team in Paris. Uh, but Francis Didier was interested. And so he said, well, well would you have it in, in Rennes? So we had it in Rennes. And so we had the national director involved. And he thought it was good. So it then became all of France. So there was a relational network that I intuitively followed that actually changed cultures much faster than the the hierarchy. So um, a edict or a, a PowerPoint does not change things. So yeah. you can, you know, you can change a culture on a team really quickly. You just do identify the values you want and then support one another in are we doing that are are we are we keeping that um but keeping it really simple you know what do you do let's do think time so you're both on teams um you could a way to keep that happen would be you know every week you'd say uh you know have you have you had the hour think time this week or whatever it is so if you start asking those questions all the time, you'll get fed up of saying no. So you'll start you'll start doing it. So it's not it, it's not difficult to start. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels overwhelming. So uh, you know, I I feel like in a lot of times where I've 
seeing change happen is where it starts more organically, like kind of what yeah, you explained, totally. with Joe. And because because you you know top down, yeah, you know whatever. But if you start showing that this is a win and other people buy in, and it's just that that takes a, a lot longer in a in a in a will to persevere through. Even sometimes maybe other people in other parts saying that's stupid, we shouldn't do that, or or even top leadership saying we shouldn't do that. We're but- we're an old organization mm-hmm. comparatively, so we have a lot to lose. So you so therefore it tends we tend to be more conservative. When we started, we had nothing to lose. We were really yeah. radical, and so we have to get back to that without losing the wisdom. As it was Eleanor Eleanor Roosevelt said. You know, learn from the mistakes of others. You're not going to live long enough to make them all yourself. So we do need to, you know, not forget history, but to yeah. learn from history. But we have to capture that. Let's take some risks for Jesus uh, and not worry too much about our reputation. Mm-hmm. All you, right, you, you've got a question. I can tell. I could tell uh, that. I've, I've got all sorts of questions. Some of them pertain to this. Um, do you? Do you? Are there specific areas that you feel like we? I'm not. We let's bro- broaden it out past um, organizationally. So let's maybe broaden it out towards missions in general or the okay. church in general. Are there areas that you think we really? because of the way the world's changed, but also maybe straying from, let's say, key gospel message or, or whatever else. I'll, I'm just trying to make a, a broad enough category here that we can talk about it. Are there areas where you think someone needs to begin leading change in these areas? So things that we're married to that we shouldn't be married to, um, entrenched too much. Wow. Well, the danger is we're attached to promoting ourselves. Whatever. So I would say, no, that actually there's loads of amazing stuff happening in the fast changing world. It's just we're not aware of it because they aren't they aren't telling us the story or it doesn't fit our model. Um, so I think you know, there's a phrase, it's amazing what you can do as long as you don't care who gets the fame. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I would say most places there there are amazing things going on under the surface. Um, so it is you know it's the challenge of the of the larger organisations who a bit more complex, a bit slower to adapt, and so you get to. If you're comfortable, you won't change. So if you're comfortable with the results that you're seeing, well, why would you change? Why would you go through that period of uncertainty where results will get even worse when you have no guarantee of what the future will be, whether or not that will be better? Um, So, um, and it's that period of uncertainty in like the Bridges model that's when you learn the most. That's when you grow the most. That's the most uncomfortable. That's when the doubt is the greatest. Um, that's when the identity and the security of the leaders is revealed for what it is. You know, it's helping people deal with that discomfort. 
to help us get to the promised land. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, larger, this is speaking of companies, so not so much ministries, but I, I kind of wonder about the, the wisdom of it. Um, larger companies will have a, they will spawn a smaller company uh, who is set on trying to break new ground. So Volvo and Polestar. Um, you can see the bones of a Volvo car in Polestar, but they're not the same company, but there's sharing of technology, which has actually helped Volvo move forward into electric car stuff. Um, Sometimes I wonder organizationally, because so much of the uncertainty and the risk that's involved with trying stupid new things within large organizations, uh, makes us resistant to that. But why are we so reluctant to allow smaller endeavors to to spin off and do things in in the interest of finding new ways forward? Because it seems like we are. We we want to we want to own everything oftentimes. Uh, we want to get the credit. We want, maybe that's it. We want to get the credit. We want to get the fame. I don't know what it is, but it seems to me we're very afraid of letting a new endeavor just go to see what happens, to to do some crazy, but without the restrictions of larger organizational concerns. It's kind of interesting in the, the 19th century with the Industrial Revolution, people were just, it seemed like the culture was people were trying stuff. Um and wouldn't it be great if the greater mission story was sharing what we're trying? Um, so I, we know what would be helpful would be, you know, partnership. God commands a dwelling. Sorry, God commands a blessing where brothers dwell in harmony. And so, you know, having a space where practitioners, mission practitioners can learn from, we're doing this, we're doing that. Here, you take my stuff. So we have been good at giving away our stuff. I think that's been a great legacy of of our organisation. I just think we also should be humble enough to say, wow, that's really good. Can I, you know, can we can we use it? So we need to be, a bit more a bit more eclectic um mm-hmm. and not it doesn't have to have the perfect dna that we want everything to have um, but that's hard that's hard for the larger you get isn't it to yeah to accept yeah. that it doesn't really have our dna but man it's really great at the same time i see us using things that are you know hey i know a lot of staff who are using bible project materials and because it's just really great and there's no problem with with, with that so I, but I think too, to to comment on that, I think the issue in Europe, or at least maybe you know, the 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 ground we've run into in Europe particularly has been so hard. We've realized a lot of our yeah. inherited wisdom, in, and I speak this more as an American because I you know I realize uh, there's that that this kind of cuts out the European experience by by itself. But but dealing with a secular culture. I think for a lot of us, we've come here and gone, what the, the roadmap I was given doesn't work here. 
And so I need to, I, I have to, so, so I think we've seen, and we, this is, you know, ongoing conversation as well, but you've seen two, two reactions to that, which is one is it doesn't work. So I, I'm, I'm just going to keep grinding at that roadmap until it does work. And I'm messing up metaphors here, or I just go home exhausted and tired. I, I, I haven't been able to put meaning around it, but I think one thing that we've had to go, go and look is like, what, who, who, I don't, what, what, what we've been told to do isn't working the way we want it to work. I have to go find somebody or something. So I think that's, I think Europe has been, and I say to highlight this as Europe as a, maybe a, a star, an unappreciated star in, in this thinking is that we have, because of the the toughness of where we're working, we've, we have had the ability to be, been forced to, in a lot of ways, start to look to those things and, and, and maybe be a leader in some of that. Maybe, maybe that's unfair to say. Yeah, but. I think it's in really interesting um, so it's not that I, I'm not saying it's not Europe is not hard. I just think it's contextual. So what was hard? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Doing mission during the Black Death or yeah. or uh, during the Spanish Inquisition. What was so? I. But what's really interesting is you talked about uh, where you know where is God working? And then Chip and Dan his book Switch. He talks about bright spots. So God is always at work. God yep. is at work in Spain. God is at work in France. Yep. Do we as an organization or missions know where that is? And are we going to them saying, wow, it's amazing what you're doing. How is that happening? So this goes back to leaders being learners. Is yep. We want to be hungry, but we need to know our audience. We need to know. It. I, you know, I believe God is at work everywhere. Um. I don't believe there's any situation that is beyond God's reach. Um, and he works in spite of us sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but we want to be curious enough and say, well, okay, I'm really struggling. I'm working really hard. So I don't want to say people are not working hard. People are working really, really, really hard. Yep. But the map you've been given maybe is the wrong map. or the yep. map. Of the it was a great map 150 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not to say, so I would say, you know, I, I think in cer certain circles, I go, well, wh wh why do you not have the numbers of Brazil? Right. For instance. And I would say, first of all, your numbers in Brazil, are you sure they're, they're what you you're counting? Are you sure that? And then second of all, well, we've got other numbers that are maybe that don't look that way, but are, are show that God is working and that things are progressing and that, yeah. The, the 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 value of the work is correct so there, there's some issue there too of how you how you contextualize how you contextualize what's going on here yeah but, but you have to reject that you say well that is amazing brazilians come over and help us uh, yeah. it's um people are working really hard i you know yeah. I, I think we need to be very clear is it's not people it's not that uh, and god an interesting question i ask people in different countries is um has there ever been a, re a religious revival in your country? And I suppose, foolishly, I believed that that was true everywhere. But apparently it's not. There are some countries, maybe they've had a localized revival, mm -hmm. but something that swept the whole country, you know, like Wesley and, and Whitfield and then, you know, the Outer Hebrides, you know, Knox. There were amazing outpourings of God. I just imagine that that had happened everywhere in every country in the world. Yeah, that foolishly was a foolish assumption. That isn't. It isn't true. Um, so. Well, 
we we probably need to start wrapping up here. Yeah, we do. Uh, wow, time's going fast. Time's, this has been a we, great we conversation. We might have to have you back on again. But, yeah, I'm I'm my my appetite is whetted. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. I do think we would be remiss and not talking briefly about whiskey in Scottish because this is something near and dear to your heart. Yes. Uh, what 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 are you drinking right now? And why do you love what what is special about Scottish whiskey? special about scottish whiskey um so i only drink it with people so for me it's mm-hmm. that it's that opportunity to share some share something really nice and slow down um so i'm you know i'm a big lefroig fan um i was given i was given this for my my uh, secret santa well, that's, that's uh, a great Secret Santa gift. Wow. A little, a little, little uh, small one and uh, and a hip flask to go with it, too. It was very kind. The bottle is still full. So um, I, I think... What do I love about it? Yeah, despite what happens in the movies, you have to sit down and drink it slowly. Mm-hmm. And you... It, I like the fact it slows you down and you have a proper glass and you... Sometimes talk rubbish. Um, mm-hmm. I just it's so different. You know, there are Scottish whiskies that destroy the back of your throat. There's so there's so much alcohol, and then there are ones that are just amazing. So mm-hmm. I like you know I like trying. You know, I've not found my perfect whiskey yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look forward to the gift that you guys bring me. Uh, so that may maybe that will <laughs> maybe that will be it. Or Glug. Yeah, I'm very happy to have some Glug. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm no longer in yeah. the land of it, but I can make it yeah. for you. Why don't you come to Spain and I'll make some for you? Okay. I, I, I love that it, it, whiskey is a, is a lot like wine, but more, I think, more pointed. But there's a story behind, you know, every every bottle and there's a, there's some there's something there. All the 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 taste and flavor and smell you get and then I, I should where, tell where you it something. came from. I should tell you something that I obviously used to be against Irish whiskey. Uh, yeah, I know. I know that because it, you, cause it's a not, new because it wasn't Scottish. But at the recent tour than Jameson's, we discovered that Mr. Jameson is Scottish. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, yeah. Jameson's is a Scottish whiskey. So now I can drink it. And, you can drink Jameson's. And enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and another interesting thing about Jameson's is one of the heirs that the, the original Jameson, he was on the. Um, of the 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 trip with um Stanley to go find Livingston. Wow. He went crazy, became a cannibal and uh Stanley had to kill him. Cuz he 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 started killing uh natives and he just went he went he went nuts. So there's maybe maybe another that's not the best way to end this podcast. No. Yeah, wow, Con- considering <laughs> wow. Well, well, Paul, on, on, on that note, um, I'm sure there's a leadership lesson in there somewhere. Uh, listen, uh, we, I think we should have you back because I think uh, one of the things I'd love to talk about you about with you um, is uh, burnout of leaders. Uh, yeah. You've seen a lot. Uh, I think you probably have some wisdom in that regard. And so next time, let's put that on the, up on the uh, whiteboard and we'll, uh, we'll have you back. Sounds like a great uh, idea. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for all that you do. And uh, we'll see you at the next thing we see you at. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. See you later.